Well, a very good morning to everyone that's here today. So glad that you could be with us and to those that are watching online and um, trust that you're all having a wonderful day doing whatever you are doing. Um, no doubt Stephen will let you know, but um, I just want to be first off the rank. Don't forget, we have a special service next week. So next week's service is going to be a little bit different in some aspects um, and it's going to be a different format in, in some ways because next week we have our commissioning service for David who got voted in as our children's and youth pastor and uh, so next week we'll be um, commissioning him and praying for him and, um, and his ministry and so come with excitement because yeah I think it's going to be a good day. Uh, most of you are aware that um, I have now finished my sermon series on grace versus law. Do you know, and I, I thank people for their positive comments that I have received on doing this series. Do you know, I think I receive more comments on this series than any other series I've done since arriving. But I think there's a good reason for that. Because the series really was on relationships. The series really was looking at Romans 14 and 15 and looking at how do you treat one another in times of disagreement. And so in some ways it really wasn't grace versus law. It was really about how you relate to other people in times of disagreement. Do you know, I can't help but think that when someone speaks on relationships, something inside us is brought to life. The reason why is all of us are designed to be in relationships. We talk a lot about the blessings God gives us as his children, but for me, one of the greatest blessings he gives us is he puts us into a Christian family. Being in the family of Jesus is an absolute privilege. Why? Because in the family of God, we see firsthand of the truth about relationships impacting relationships. I truly believe the Christian church should have a connection of relationship, impacting relationships, stronger than any other club, committee, organisation or a party can give or offer. The church should stand alone in this. Why? Because what we have to offer each other, the way we can impact each other in our relationships goes far beyond ourselves because it includes the Holy Spirit. We have experienced this relationship, impacting relationships, not only on a personal level, but we've experienced it through the Holy Spirit. We have had the life of God the Father, Jesus the Son, through his Holy Spirit, impact us on a spiritual level. So now, as the family of God, we don't just share a common interest. We don't just share a common belief or a faith. We share the relationship that we all have with our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And yes, this was Paul's main point in what he said about how you treat others to help others to grow and not to tear each other down. Because of the Holy Spirit living with us, we all come together as God's family. We can touch, share and encourage one another on a level that is offered nowhere else. Nowhere. Most of you would be aware that Michelle and I are leaving in a few weeks and because of David's commissioning service and because of Easter services, I really only have three sermon spots left and I've decided to continue in a way looking at our relationships but on a much deeper level and on a more personal level. 
So my last three sermons that I'm going to be doing here have this title, Relationships Impacting Relationships. We are a church of wonderful people and we have a great opportunity to touch and impact each other's lives. And this really is what I want to focus on and what my last three sermons will be about. I'm going to look at three different examples Three different people in our scriptures, people who have impacted others in different ways, and then ask the question, who is impacting you and your work with God, and whose life are you impacting in their walk with God? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we just thank you for, um, yeah, for your relationship with us. We thank you that you're a God of relationship. You're a God that is stepped down in history sent your son in history and sent him to die for us so we can have a relationship with you. So, Lord, we pray that as we go through this, may we be challenged and encouraged at the same time. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. If I was to ask you, who are the people that have made you who you are today? Most of you would probably say your parents. Your parents had the biggest influence in your life. However, All of us would also have a list of other people that we've had contact with that have helped made us who we are today. Our lives and beliefs have been influenced and changed by other peoples who have made an impact on our life through our journey. We've experienced relationships impacting relationships. You know, for us as Christians, we're all in a privileged position We all know what it is to have a relationship with someone who has made an impact on our life, and that someone is Jesus Christ. Being in the family of Jesus, I said, is a privilege because we have a chance to impact on the spiritual life of those around us. And in turn, this has an impact on the spiritual life you live. One thing that is clear in our scriptures, when it comes to living out our faith, we need each other. That's the way it has been since the beginning of time. No one can be a Christian on a deserted island. No one can really be a Christian on their own. When it comes to living out our faith, we need each other. As I said before, I'm going to look at three different examples from people from our scriptures. People who have impacted others in different ways. Those three people are Barnabas, Timothy and Aphrodite. My key thought in my last three sermons is this. This is what I'm going to be focusing on. Every Christian, every Christian needs a Barnabas to receive encouragement, a Timothy to guide as a protege, and an Aphrodite to enjoy on a peer level. That's what I'm going to be focusing on. Every Christian needs a Barnabas to receive encouragement a Timothy to guide as a protege, and an Aphrodite to enjoy on a peer level. And so obviously, you know, today we're looking at every Christian needs a Barnabas for encouragement. So the question is, who on earth is Barnabas? Why would I start with him? Well, let's start by looking at some of the different aspects. Now, normally, the way I preach is I pull a passage and we'll go through a passage systematically. Obviously, doing this series, I'm not doing that. In fact, I'm not even reading much from our Bible. What I'm giving you is an overphrase of what our Bible says. And I'll give you the verses and chapters and say, go away and look at them up yourself. 
Have you ever had a friend stand up for you in a time of trial? What about someone who's helped and supported you even before you became friends? Well, Barnabas, we're told, is that kind of person. We're not given much information about this man, um, Barnabas, or his background. But when we read scripture, these are the things that we know. This is what our Bible tells us about him from the book of Acts. He comes from the small Mediterranean island of Cyprus. Cyprus was 200 miles northwest of Jerusalem. He was a cousin to the gospel writer Mark. His original name was Joseph and he was a modest Jew. His name is in the list of the first leaders in the church of Antioch. We don't know how he came to faith in Jesus Christ. We don't know how he started to believe in that. Perhaps he was among the visitors to Jerusalem during the Passover, where 3,000 people heard Peter preached and came to the faith. We don't know. But whatever the circumstances, we do know this. The message of Jesus took hold of his life, and that forever changed him and history. Following the custom, the church leaders gave Joseph, once he became a believer, a new name. Joseph became Barnabas. They gave him that name because it meant son of encouragement. Can you imagine being so encouraging to others that people nickname you son of encouragement? Imagine being able to walk in a room and everyone knows here's the man or woman that comes in and brings encouragement. Or literally, the one who always encourages. Well, that's exactly what the early church did for Joseph. Joseph seemed to excel at encouragement. So when they chose a new name to call him that would fit his very title, they named him Barnabas, the one who brings all encouragement. This name would stick profoundly speak profoundly about the impact this minor character in Scripture would have on the future of the church and the mission of Jesus Christ. When Barnabas is introduced to us in Acts, we see the depth of his newfound faith and commitment to Jesus Christ. Because when we're first introduced to him, we see the depth of his commitment to mission and to the church. You see, we first mentioned about him in Acts chapter 4, verse 36, and we're told The very first thing we're told about him is we're told he's selling some or all of his property. He's doing that to give it away to the Jerusalem church. The very first thing mentioned about Barnabas is that he's selling his land to give to the church. This was to help provide for new Christian believers. By the time of Acts 11, we find Barnabas still active in that church and we're told he's full of the Holy Spirit. The church leadership and congregation then sends him to Antioch to begin giving them guys encouragement and direction to the people who were responding to God's word. He understood what God was doing in bringing Gentiles into the church and he spent his life serving God in that area. He spent his life going about reaching these non-Jewish people. We also know many times his preaching, Barnabas faced hostility from both Jews and Gentiles. Many times he was faced with people who were not happy with the message we proclaimed. Many times his message pointed out the false concepts and practices they believed that they had a right before God. Obviously this in turn led to people to leave certain religions 
and follow Jesus. So whenever Barnabas spoke, he took increasing numbers of people away from other religion and, dare I say, other religious leaders. So they didn't like him or his message much at all. How hard it must have been for him to remain encouraging in such opposition. But here again, Acts tells us, we see Barnabas living up to his name of encourager. As much as Barnabas was an encourager, many times in his life, his encouragement turned into becoming a mentoring role, a mentor to people. Let's look at some of the aspects of Barnabas the mentor. Do you know, as I said, when it comes to him, looking at Barnabas as a mentor, there's a number of people that we could have picked on. However, the mentoring relationship I want to focus on today is this one, his relationship with Paul. I guess it's no surprise that the Apostle Paul was not born an apostle. He was transformed from a murderous persecutor of the church to an apostle. However, as you read the story in Acts, you begin to wonder if Paul would have made it, if Paul would have got to where he got to without Barnabas. While it's true Paul was called to be an apostle by the will of God, what is also true and revealed in our scriptures in Acts 9, 11, 13 and 15, Paul's acceptance into the church community came through the mentorship of Barnabas. After Saul's Damascus Road experience where he was converted, you would understand the fear of Paul's murderous threat towards those who followed Jesus was still very much alive. The leaders of the Jerusalem church wanted nothing to do with him. They heard about his conversion, but they still wanted nothing to do with him because they were still scared that he still wanted to kill them. In their minds, he was still public enemy number one. Paul needed someone to help him be accepted by this early Christian community. And that someone was Barnabas. God used Barnabas as that someone to come to Paul's aid. Barnabas, risking his reputation and position as a church leader, took Paul to face the church. Barnabas not only took Paul to the apostles, when he took him, he defended him and he vouched for the truth of Paul's conversion and Paul's testimony. He did not have to do this, but this active encouragement provided a necessary link between Paul and the fulfilment of his calling. The active encouragement provided Paul access to the believers. Barnabas, true to his nickname as son of encouragement, persuaded the disciples and the early church to accept Paul at face value. Barnabas served as both a sponsor and a mentor for Paul as he walked with him. You could say together they faced those disciples who feared Paul and saw him as their enemy. Were it not for Barnabas, who knows what would have happened to Paul or the early church? Certainly this act of encouragement by Barnabas would have impacted Paul in a big way. But the impact of Barnabas would have on Paul's life didn't stop there. In fact, that was just the beginning of the relationship impacting relationship journey for these two. Paul did not immediately begin his work as an apostle after Barnabas vouched for him before the disciples. Paul had to leave Jerusalem because the Greek-speaking Jews in Damascus wanted to kill him because of what had happened. Why? Because of his bold proclamation now of Jesus. They liked it better when he was killing the Christians. 
And he wasn't doing that anymore. He was following them. So now they wanted to kill him. The believers sent Paul away to Tarshish for safekeeping. Galatians tells us after a period of three years, Barnabas went to Tarshish to seek Paul out and assist him in teaching the believers in Antioch. Barnabas recruited Paul to help him teach the new followers in this church at Antioch. During this year together in Antioch, Barnabas guided Paul during his development for a novice follower of Christ to a speaker and spreader of the faith in the early church. During this time, they were able to teach great many. Paul, Barnabas guided Paul by spending time with him and letting Paul observe him interact with new believers. This year in Antioch was such a blessing that Barnabas took a young disciple, Mark, on the trip through Asia Minor, which is now known as the first missionary journey. Barnabas was the senior leader of that first missionary journey. But as they travelled, Barnabas was willing to take an organisation and a personal risk by letting Paul at times take the lead. No longer was it Barnabas and Paul. Very quickly, it became Paul and others. Should Paul have faltered or made a huge mistake? That was okay. Barnabas would have been there to help pick up the pieces without jeopardising the church's mission. Still, even with the possibility of becoming a reality, Barnabas gave Paul a leading role, allowing him to grow, allowing him to find his feet, allowing him to mature in Christ. With Barnabas impacting on the life of Paul, Paul became one of the greatest evangelists, theologians and church planners in the history of church. I guess you can think that this is great. What could go wrong? Well, sadly, I'm sure you're aware something did go wrong. Sadly, a serious disagreement happened between Paul and Barnabas. The argument was whether a young Mark should accompany them on their second missionary journey. Paul was so upset with Mark that he made him return home in the middle of the first journey, and they didn't want him, he didn't want him to come on the second journey. But Barnabas insisted that they take Mark on the second journey. With this matter standing between them, we're told in Acts 15, they went their separate ways. Now, there's dispute whether or not these two were ever reconciled. Did Paul and Barnabas come back together? Some believe we have no record of reconciliation, while others say the reference in 1 Corinthians 9, we can say that they did. Either way, we can be sure of this. We have no record of Barnabas being angry with Paul in our scriptures or Paul being angry with Barnabas. The last time Barnabas is mentioned is in that passage where Paul speaks of him in 1 Corinthians 9. And he speaks of him quite positively. This mention shows that even after a fight and separation, Paul still regarded him with love and appreciation. And then later still in 2 Timothy 4, Paul indirectly acknowledged that Barnabas had been right in telling him not to give up on Mark because he was useful. Paul became one of the greatest evangelists, theologians and church planners, as I said but we must never forget the influence or impact of the man behind Paul. They say behind every good man is a good woman. Well, not in this case. Behind every good man was another good man. God used Barnabas in a very influential way to develop development of Paul and the early church. So while we rightly think of Paul as a strategic spokesperson for Christ and the New Testament, while it's true he wrote 13 books of our New Testament, 
we must never forget that behind Paul, along his journey, was Barnabas, a man who had the nickname of Encourager, a man whose living God's way of life flowed through him. No wonder some people say without Barnabas, there would be no Paul. So that's the type of person Barnabas was. He was a man of integrity. He was a man full of the Holy Spirit. He was a man full of faith. He was teachable. He was generous with his finances. And he reached out to Paul when everyone else was spectacle about him and didn't want a bar of him. Although we're not told what ultimately happened to Barnabas, I can't help but think that he continued to grow in God's way, live up to the good name the others gave him, encourager, teaching, mentoring, encouraging others to walk with them and before them. So that's the story of Barnabas. So why do I say we all need a mentor like Barnabas in our life? Well, it comes down to this. What is mentoring? Barnabas gives us a great example of what we should look for when looking for a mentor. If you look it up in the dictionary, mentoring is describing as a relationship in which a more experienced manager helps a less experienced protege. The workforce has used this mentoring model, train people for years. It really doesn't matter what occupation you look at, mechanic, dentist, doctor, electrician, bricklayer, carpenter, whatever you look at, it doesn't matter. In all of these occupations and more, the new untrained employee gains the skills needed to complete the task of their new employment from the guidance and teaching of someone else who is experienced and skilled in the very task. When we look at scripture, we also see that this is the way faith is meant to be passed on and nurtured from generation to generation. We have the word disciple in our Bible. And I think I've said this before, but disciple isn't a follower. Disciple isn't a believer. The closest English word we have to that word disciple is apprentice. Someone in a trade, a student of a subject or a pupil of a teacher. Discipleship sums up Christ's plans for the world. His strategy for us to learn what it means to follow him is that we learn it from someone who has already walked the road. God's plan is to have the relationship of an older Christian impacting the relationship of a younger Christian. God's designed for us to be influenced and shaped by other people. That's why I say if you're going to grow in your faith, we need others. We need each other. Throughout scripture, we see successful mentoring roles. In the Old Testament, we have Naomi and Ruth, Elijah and Elisha, Moses and Joshua, Deborah and Barak. In the New Testament, there's Jesus and disciples, Peter and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, and Mark and Paul. Paul mentored Timothy and Titus as well. This is God's way to pass on faith to others. Yet there seems to be lack of mentoring, I believe, in our faith and in our Christian church today. I remember, um, it was back, I think it was about 1989, and I was involved in a group in Adelaide called High Schools Ministry Group. So they're the ones that used to go into high school and, and do ministry. Not that any of you know him, but the director of that organisation was a friend of mine. And his name was Darren Keneally. Darren Keneally was a youth worker and he had won awards for his youth 
and he was even a representative in Canberra for the Minister of Youth. He understood young people and he worked with young people very well. The high school ministry group owned a big double-decker bus, big yellow bus. And uh, what we would do in Adelaide and in suburbs, we would go and park the bus and we'd use it as a drop-in centre for people to come in on. Anyway, I remember being on the, one day with Darren, working with him on the door. A couple of elderly ladies come up to the door and asked us what the bus was for and what was high school ministry group all about. We made some small talk with them and uh, we talked with them and then they, re they revealed to us that they were Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, sorry to say after hearing that, both Darren and I tried to end the conversation quite quickly so we could move them on. But that was until one of these ladies asked Darren a question because she said, I think I've seen you on the news and you're with youth and, you know, I've seen you in Canberra and yada, yada, yada. And he said, yeah, I am. And she said, well, I've got one question for you. In your opinion, what is the biggest problem facing our young people today? He thought about it for a minute. He looked quite bank. And then he gave an answer. And I'll be honest, I did not expect the answer he gave. But the answer he gave has stuck with me to this very day. In fact, I asked him to write it down for me. He said this to this lady. The biggest problem with young people today is there aren't enough people from generations ahead of them pouring into them and investing their lives in them. That was his answer. He could tell his answer threw her off a little bit. She even admitted that she was a bit like me and didn't think that would be his answer at all that he would give. She expected that he would say something like, the biggest problem is drugs or alcohol or sexual promiscuity. And Darren said, no, I don't believe these are the problem. They are simply the symptoms of a much deeper problem. And he looked at this lady and said, we need other people, older people, mentoring our youth. We need older people walking the road and impacting. I chatted with Darren about this once the ladies had left and he said, Garth, mentoring young people is so, so important and sadly the church fails at it. He said, mentoring is a relational experience in which one person opens and shares their lives with others. It's about a Christian who has walked the walk, talked the talk and given it to another. It's about sharing and enabling another young Christian to take full advantage of the grace of God in his or her life, his or her service, and pass it on to someone else. He finished by saying, to help young people grow in Jesus Christ is the reason he first got into youth work. Imparting and impacting young Christians to take full advantage of the grace of God is the greatest tool we can give our young people. For me... That's exactly what Barnabas lived by. That's exactly, dare I say, what Barnabas did for Paul. Barnabas enabled Paul to take full advantage of the grace of God in his life and in his service. Barnabas enabled Paul to grow in the love of Jesus Christ and experience it for himself. Now, I know this all sounds great, but how much does it happen today in our churches? How much are relationships impacting relationships in our churches? How much are the relationships of older Christians impacting the relationships of younger Christians? Well, sorry to say, I think the answer would still be the same 
as 1989. Not very much. As I just mentioned, God designed us to be influenced and shaped by other people. His strategy for us to learn and what it means to follow him is that we learn it from someone who's already walked the road. That is mentoring in the truest biblical sense. However, there seems to be a lack of that kind of mentoring in the faith today. I remember doing a pastor's conference in Queensland and uh, this one was five years ago and they were covering this topic for us pastors. Our superintendent of the time of Queensland Baptist was David Loder and he put a challenge to us pastors and he said, this year the focus of QB is going to be answering one of the biggest questions you'll ever have to ask yourself as a pastor. We said, what's the big question? He said, this is the big question. He said, why is it in the West people are deserting Christianity, yet in other parts of the world it's growing at an amazing rate? He said, as Queensland pastors, I want you to go away and really ask yourself, pray about that, think about it and challenge us. And he said, as a union, they did that. And he said, what's surprising? He said, when it comes to resources, when it comes to experience, when it comes to money, he says, we probably have more at our hands than the others. But they're beating us. And he says, we as Queensland Baptists have lost discipleship. We've lost the art of making disciples. Have we missed the main thing, the role of a church? It is not about having good lights, he said. It's not about having the best worship. It's not even having about the best preaching. He said the role of the church should be about building mentors and discipling the young Christians. Relationships of older Christians impacting the relationships of the young Christians. He said maybe if we went back to doing that, then we wouldn't have all these people running away. That's the very same point that my friend Darren made way back in 1989 and here we are in 2023 and we haven't changed. It is because of this point that I've decided to make my last sermons about this to help you think about that key thought. Every Christian needs a Barnabas to receive encouragement, a Timothy to guide as a protege and an Aphrodite to enjoy an appear level. To help as you go, I have made some cards. The cards, something, look like this. They're for you to fill in. Because as I go through my last three weeks, each time you'll be able to look at this card and think, where am I at with this? And so today we're focused obviously on the first one. And there's a question at the top. My mentor is... I want to finish by answering one question. Why have a mentor? Why not just keep going the way we're going? What's the benefits of being mentored? What does a mentor provide for you that just simply opening up the word and studying the word for 24 hours a day can do? And that's what I'm finishing with, the things that a mentor can provide for us. And the first one is this. A mentor provides a role model for us to follow. Seeing a godly life lift out is an invaluable benefit for young people. It promotes spiritual growth because mentors help us deepen our personal relationship with God. It helps us grow in the image of Christ and helps us become usable for the kingdom. A mentor provides us accountability. 
as we give people permission to mentor and inquire about our lives, we become accountable. You want a mentor that's going to ask you the hard questions. I praise God that I've got one that has been involved in my life since Michelle and I were married. And he used to ask me, how am I going at being a husband? How am I going at treating my wife? How am I going at loving her with all my heart, soul and all this? And he'd say, now, what if I went and asked Michelle the same question? You want someone that's just not going to look at you and pat you on the back. A mentor is there to ask the hard questions. Why? Because they're there to give you encouragement. Being a mentor provides someone with someone who believes in you and believes in your passions. A mentor is one who can give you, help you in your dreams and in your goals. And more than that, because of their encouragement, they will help you achieve them. Dr. Larry Crabb, in his book Connecting, touches on the power of a mentor can bring to a person through encouragement. He writes, encouragement is the kind of expression that helps someone want to be a better Christian even when life is rough. And finally, a mentor can give guidance. There are times in our lives when we face major life decisions. Well, all of these crucial times, a mentor has the depth and knowledge to guide us. You see, the most important requirement that a mentor or a guide must have is their people who've travelled the past before. If you go to somewhere and get a guide and you say, how long have you been in this place? And they say, it's the first time I've ever been here. Chances are they're not going to be a very good guide. They're not going to know anything more about that place than what you do. You understand it's no good getting a guide to show you around a place that they've never experienced or stepped foot in. Guides are there to help people see and experience things that they themselves have seen and experienced about that place. They offer helpful information and warn of dangers. They share their own experiences on the road as they've lived in this place. How can a guide do that unless they've walked the road before? And as they've walked this journey, they have learnt some of the hard lessons along the way. They've learnt what's the best road to take in certain situations, what's the best thing to say in certain situations, or who is the best person to see in certain situations. We all need someone like that guiding our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Someone who has walked the walk, talked the talk, and been in the place. So with that in mind, who is your Barnabas? Do you have someone in your life who is a role model to follow, makes you accountable, brings encouragement, and offers guidance? Do you have a Barnabas in your life like Paul had in his? Someone there to support, teach you, believe in you. Someone whose relationship with God is impacting your relationship with God. Well, whether your answer is yes, I do, or no, I don't, your response should be the same. Your response to your answer to this question is pray. If you have a yes, I have a Barnabas, pray and thank God for that person. I thank God for Rex daily because he has been so impactful in my life at times. He has guided me. Pray for them. Thank God for them. Pray for their relationship with God will continue to impact yours. If your answer is no, I don't have a Barnabas, 
pray God will bring you one. Earnestly pray because it'll be one of the greatest things you ever get. Every Christian needs a Barnabas to receive encouragement that will help them grow in their faith and their relationship with God. As Christians, a Barnabas, a mentor, can help us see how the power of Jesus can impact us every day because we've seen how it impacts them. And when we see how we are impacted, we can then go and impact the lives of others. And that's exactly what I'll be looking at over the next couple of weeks and especially next time because next time I preach is on this. Every Christian needs a Timothy to guide as a protege or to be a Barnabas too. Your relationship with God impacting theirs. May God bless you and may you find someone who is going to encourage, challenge and ask you the hard questions in your life to bring you closer to God. These forms will be out there. Um, You feel free to grab one um, as you head out today. And um, just as we go through this series, I, I really pray that we can impact one another.